Hi, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. I'm PJ Pescetta, and I'm here today to talk to you about the neurochemical reaction to cluster B abuse. Um, cluster B abuse would be narcissism, sociopathy, and psychopathy. They're on the DSM scale um, of mental dis, uh, personality disorders. Um, and there are different neurochemical reactions that come into play when um, dealing with cluster B disordered individuals. After a relationship with one of these people ends, time does not heal all the wounds. Sometimes there's just a lot more going on than grieving the loss of the relationship. Sometimes there is a type of chemical brain science that complicates the recovery, and often the chemical imbalance is a form of some kind of trauma bonding and, and withdrawal for the person with the relationship or love addiction. It actually gets physical. Studies have indicated that remapping the brain and recovering from a host of other withdrawal symptoms takes a long time, maybe years. Uh, I've also heard that when recovering from something like this, for each year of the relationship, it takes half that much time to get where you need to be. So after a 16-year relationship, that means it would take eight years possibly to fully recover. Wow, I don't really think I have eight years to waste at this point. I may not even be alive in eight years. So, of course, I want to expedite that process. After, for me, about after about six months, um, I think that I have read that attachment typically decreases by about 27%. And for me, uh, I, I don't think it, it has gone that much. That would, that would also indicate that it could take a long time for recovery if, we're, if it's only dropping 27% um, every six months. So let's think about this. In the aftermath of psychopathic and narcissistic love relationships, for many, the neuropeptide oxytocin and dopamine become imbalanced and deregulated, unregulated, dysregulated, whatever you want to call it. I've heard all of those terms applied to this phenomena. These neurochemical changes put the victim in a tough position because dopamine and oxytocin can lead to irrational actions. The imbalance of this brain chemistry can cause the victim to experience intense cravings for their partner and also to fail to remain in any to fail to remain grounded in in reality an emotional addiction to a person happens uh, it is also called love addiction relationship addiction and a host of other things but i'm willing to bet that that's frequently part of the equation in these dysfunctional relationships. Brain chemistry can make it almost impossible to think rationally and to let go of negative patterns of behavior. 
So what are peptides and how are they addicted? Peptides are naturally occurring biological molecules that are found in all living organisms and play a key role in all kinds of biological activity. Knowing about peptide addiction explains why the addiction and subsequent obsession to the narcissist can be so extreme. Victims of narcissistic abuse have difficulty healing from peptide addiction, which is often caused by prolonged and intermittent abuse. I think that I've read there are some countries, some entities that use this type of intermittent abuse uh, to condition their their victims in a as torture as actual torture the peptide which is stored in the cells can trigger you into thinking in dysregulated ways the brain fires off an electrical signal and the hypothalamus manufactures the peptide the cells repeat this addictive sequence and there you go it's never ending The brain's reward system is often the motivation behind the victim's inability to leave a disordered partner. I know for me, there were a lot of people who couldn't understand how I couldn't just put things down, why I couldn't just let it go and walk away and count my blessings that that I was no longer part of all the crazy making and irrational behavior and manipulation and covert passive aggressive nightmare that I was living in. But it's not that easy. Thinking rationally is often impaired and cognitive dissonance rules the day. All of these chemicals are combined to create a toxic stew that acts in a never-ending loop. No wonder we act irrationally and out of control when we're trying to disconnect from people who have narcissistic personality disorder. Neurochemistry can create addictive attachment that is very difficult to break. For the person who has developed PTSD or CPTSD, the return of the abuser always exacerbates their mental health decline. Reactions such as craving, longing, obsessive thoughts, overdependence, and withdrawal can occur even if the victim is cognitively aware that their partner is a destructive choice. Reconciling the rational mind with emotional thinking is no easy task. For me, it has been the most difficult part of my journey. Therefore, the decision to stay is not really a decision at all. Rather, it's an addictive response that the brains have to deal with here. This could happen to anyone after a toxic relationship, particularly if the person has an anxious anxious attachment style or other similar issue. Uh, Probably the hardest thing for me was knowing uh, the etymology of my dysfunction, understanding how I became the way that I am, uh, putting names to it, labels, diagnoses that I had received from from my mental health professionals here and there, um, saying that, yes, you, you have um, a relationship addiction, you have unhealthy attachment styles, you have some dependency um, 
things that you need to work on, knowing this in my rational, logical mind and understanding why I had this relationship for 16 years with, without boundaries, uh, without borders, without any territorial ownership of my own identity or self. I'm very self-actualized and I get it. I understand it. I have a very deep grasp of what is going on. But at the end of the day, it does not matter because the brain follows the body. The brain, what the logical, rational mind is knowing and thinking, it doesn't matter because when emotional thinking, those hardwired, built-in childhood traumas and false belief systems that are programs, like they're, it's like computer programs, maybe you might want to consider it like a script that you're acting out like a play. Whichever analogy you prefer, it's still the same thing. It's like that part of who you are hijacks your rational cognitive logical thinking. The body with the emotional thinking, the body with the, that stores the trauma in it for years and decades and, and compels us to act in unhealthy ways, the body is always more powerful. The emotional thinking is always more powerful than the brain. So therein lies the challenge. It's almost impossible to get these two guys on the same page. So due to the uptick in oxytocin and dopamine, you have chemical factors involved. The victim will require a connection to this abusive individual to prevent from experiencing the painful feelings of withdrawal. That could be a call, a text, any form of contact. That is how they become dependent. And this particular dependency is not codependence, but it's a reaction that is similar to the same brain chemistry as someone who is experiencing drug dependence. Drug dependence, not codependence. I have often remarked that detoxing from my narcissistic covert husband uh, felt like what I imagined would be withdrawal from heroin. Is that severe? There was trembling, tremors and shaking, loss of appetite, weight loss, irrational thinking, fantastical thinking, inability to sleep. It's been seven months now, and I still never sleep more than four to five hours per night. Can't tell you why. It's a abysmal, tortuous experience. Intestinal discomfort, sicknesses, all kinds of things. The list is endless. Symptoms of withdrawal, craving the toxic relationship or deciding to stay. These kinds of things are not a reflection of personal weakness. No, we should never look at it that way. It is not a reflection of personal weakness on the part of the victim. It is simply the way the brain responds to the disconnect from the source, which would be in this case, the person with the personality disorder. Those with insecure attachment foundations will respond more intensely and experience even more difficulty overcoming this kind of thing. With support, treatment with a skilled mental health professional, the neurochemistry can settle down and return to normal. And I also think there's a whole realm of support out there online if you start looking for it beyond what traditional 
mental health can provide for you. Because let's just face it, traditional mental health, a lot of times they don't have the tools, the training, nor the expertise to tackle narcissistic abuse recovery or recovery from uh, sociopaths or psychopaths, the abuse that you uh, experience in that way, all of the things that have to be worked through. There's a lot of things that conventional, traditional mental health are not equipped to do. They don't understand. They don't speak that language. Um, Support groups aren't always the answer. Sometimes that's just venting, venting and vitriol. That's what a lot of those meetings are. They, they bash the narcissist and play the victim. And I've seen people in those groups that seem to be stuck in a loop and they've been in recovery for two, three, four, five, ten years, longer even. I don't want to be one of those people. So I think that there are resources online that speak specifically how to identify these internal mechanisms, these, these programs and scripts that we're running on that are behavioral in nature, but they are, they're our belief system. It's our stories. It's our narrative. And these toxic narratives, we learned these so long ago, we don't even remember them. I think that has to be uh, part of the treatment plan that cannot be ignored, is, is trying to find some kind of online program, training, help, some video, podcast, something that you can uh, put into your arsenal to help you get through this. So I think it's important to understand that there are a lot of things at play here. Um, Working through the addiction and towards a place of sobriety after separating from a narcissist is a long, difficult, arduous process. The brain is going to need time to settle down. And the longer you stay with the emotionally abusive partner, the more deterioration you can expect of your hippocampus as well as other physical illnesses and infirmity. Stress causes inflammation in the body and all of its systems are affected. And as we all know, inflammation is the root cause of a number of serious health problems um, that can actually be lethal. Some people have gone so far as to say things such as cancer, autoimmune disease, heart disease, all of the big ones that you do not want to have to wrestle with are caused by inflammation. And what does stress do? It inflames inflames everything. The neurological processes catalyzed by this trauma bonding may enhance feelings of confusion and, and cognitive dissonance in victims of narcissistic abuse. At some point in the relationship, this person is going to just flip a switch and begin to blame you and feel intense contempt for you in the form of some kind of projection or repression or something that they're never going to admit their own deficiencies. They're just not. The person with narcissism or any kind of um, sociopathic behavior, this kind of thing, um, they they have an inability to be accountable for their emotions or their behavior or lack thereof. Um, and for losing, um, for losing that intoxicating dopamine rush, they used to feel 
when around them. We're addicted to that chemical reaction. One of the many ways victims can help their brain break a trauma bond is by facilitating the release of oxytocin. Lighting up the oxytocin receptors of this type can reduce cravings, ease withdrawal, lessen pain, and there are many ways to increase oxytocin from diet to exercise, even meditation and mindfulness. So what are the steps to recovery? Well, there's a few suggestions I have here. Not a lot, but I have a few. Number one, detach and avoid the source of the drug. In this case, it is the narcissistic, disordered person that you're addicted to. And the only solution is to go full no contact. No contact. And that is so much harder than it sounds but it's necessary, guys. It's absolutely necessary. Take it from someone who has struggled with this, and um, yep, it's definitely necessary. Number two, um, rewire the brain by addressing neuroscience and things like peptide addiction to release cellular trauma. Be aware of brain science and work to increase the good chemicals. Number three, replace unhealthy chemical dynamics by detoxing ourselves from inner addiction through doing the inner work, the inner work. We just talked about that, the programs and scripts that we are running from years back, from early, early life trauma that are stored in our body and compel us to react the way we do. It compels us to attract the people we attract. It compels us to do all of these numbers of, of, of unhealthy things. And the work begins on the inside because you can't fix what's around you externally outside of you. You can't just make it um, in your head, in your brain. Like if I learn enough about narcissism, I can get a grip on it. No, you can't. You could know everything there is to know about it. And that's not going to give you relief. It's not going to give you peace. It's not going to give you what you are seeking. You have to turn inward and work on yourself. And if you heal yourself, then whatever that narcissist is doing to keep you attached, to keep you on the shelf nearby, to be ever present. We've talked about that, how they condition you so that even when they're gone, you're still connected. They've got their hooks in you because they have conditioned you to feel them and smell them. And, and every memory, everything you see triggers something. It's like you cannot escape from them even when they're no longer physically present. It's the craziest thing I have ever encountered. And you wouldn't believe it, really, unless you experienced it. Um, I would never have believed this until I went through that these last seven months. So as the old cells die off and they are replaced with new healthy beliefs and perceptions, then your brain will follow the body to a better place than what it's doing now when it's doing things that are not what they're supposed to be. So I, I hope that this has helped you. I, I think recovery is such a multifaceted process it requires a multitude of things in the recovery toolbox that address healing. It's not just one thing. 
For example, you can't underestimate the power of some kind of spirituality or belief in a higher power. I know a lot of the 12-step programs are are uh, founded on that principle, and there's a reason. Uh, there's a it works, and uh, we'll do another episode on on um, how you can turn to your higher power during this process and use that leverage that for your recovery. But there there are a multitude of things in this recovery toolbox. And you just need to make sure you have all those tools because you're going to need them. Uh, Yeah, we're all going to need them. So it may seem like a daunting task, but I'm pretty sure we can all get to and through this process if we are empowered by our knowledge, if we surround ourselves with support, and if we stay future-focused there's no point in living in the past and revisiting that and lingering over memories and and what I could have done, what I should have done, what he should have done, what did he say, what did he mean, why didn't he do this, why didn't he do that. I know for me, I've spent a significant chunk of time thinking, why did he not just say I'm not happy. I'm kind of having a problem here. And let's talk about that. I'm uh, what we can do about that. Some heads up warning about what was getting ready to happen. I, I have wondered how he could go from being a regular person to just flipping a switch and erasing me, torpedoing me and blowing me into smithereens into bits And then just walking away and never looking back like it never happened, like it never even happened. How insulting. What? That's just the ultimate way to dishonor a relationship by doing those things. So I could go on and on and on and on with all of the things I think about in regards to my 15 years that I fought for this person and for this marriage. But the truth is, I just needed to look inwards and start working on that. And then maybe what was happening around me would not have been so impactful. But it's too late to worry about that now. And if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to guess it's too late for you as well. And that you are already apart and out of that situation. So if that's the case, let's just remember this is a complicated thing. We do need to know as much as we can know. I think trying to get information and educate ourselves is the first step. But once that does happen, there's other things that need to start happening, like the inner work and all the other pieces to this puzzle to try to reconstruct ourselves. And for some of us, it's not a matter of recovery, which implies we're going to go back and recover something we lost. Um, for some of us, I know for me, it's not so much as a recovery as it is a creating a self that is whole and healthy. Because in all my life, I can say I have not had that perspective of what needed to happen. And I have not worked arduously to achieve that. I would just rush off to the next thing um, without doing the due diligence to get better and to heal those things. So guys, I hope this helps you. I hope you continue looking for 
for what you need to feel better and to have the life that you deserve and that you want to have because life is short and we do not want to be stuck in the loop. We need to get up. We need to get on. We need to get healed and we need to live our best life. So until next time, be well. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to follow, uh, follow me on Twitter at Pesqueda underscore narc underscore survivor. That's Pesqueda, P-E-S-Q-U-E-D-A underscore narc, capital N, capital A, capital R, capital C underscore survivor, Pesqueda narc survivor on Twitter.